Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. I'm a composer, conductor, and music educator. On this podcast, I talk with other composers and discover how they began their journey into composition. Join me each week as we explore their lives, their musical journeys, and of course, their music. To learn more about this podcast and access a complete archive of episodes, including the series of shorter segments called Movable Snippets, visit my website at sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dome. My guest today is Kim Andre Arnesen. Kim is a classical composer from Trondheim, Norway. He received his formal music education at the Music Conservatory in Trondheim. Kim's first major work, Magnificat, was commissioned and premiered in 2010 by Nidaros Catholic Girls Choir. Uh, Nidaros Cathedral Girls Choir. Major recent works include Nordic Christmas from 2019, Stop at Mater from 2020, and Nordlis from World Choral Fest 2020. In 2020 and 2021, Kim released his first piano music album. And as of 2023, Kim is collaborating with the BBC singers and other choirs around the world. He's an elected member of the Norwegian Composer Society. Kim Andre Arneson, welcome to Movable Doe. Thank you so much, Steve. It's a pleasure. So as I was telling you before we began recording here, I actually have ancestors from the Trondheim area and would love to visit one day. But since I have never actually been to Norway yet, you'll have to tell me all about it. So what sort of musical upbringing did you have? Were you taking piano lessons or what were you doing? Yeah, I started taking piano lessons. I was uh, around six years old at that time. Uh, We have something called um, the music school, which is a public uh, music school, which is not connected to the school system, Um, but it's, uh, it's, uh, you can study any kind of instrument and also theater and, and, singing and, and many different things and and piano became my instrument and i had um a grandfather who was really interested in having me um explore uh music in many different ways and uh, through him i was also um encouraged to start singing in a boys choir oh nice um, and i remember my father took me to a service in the Nidaros Cathedral uh, when I was maybe about eight years old. And uh, I said to him, no, this I don't think this is for me. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I saw uh, the boy choir in, in the ropes and I was that young. So I, I figured, well, I guess they're living in the basement of this cathedral. And this, <laughs> this is what they're doing in life. And, no, I don't think that's a life for me. <laughs> but I was forced to do it. And um, he took me by car to the uh, place for um, to, to have the audition. And I didn't know what was going on. And we took the elevator up to the fifth floor. And then he told me, you are going to audition for the boys choir. <laughs> and I sang uh, uh, a supporter song from the local soccer team on the audition because I oh, that's great. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I got in and I started loving it. So, um, yeah, I can thank both my, my father and my, also my grandfather for, uh, for pushing me a little bit. For tricking you into it. <laughs> exactly. 
That's great. So were other members of your family musical as well, uh, in addition to your grandfather? Yes, there was a lot of music in my in the house. Uh, my mother, she played the trumpet in a marching band. And my father played the guitar in, uh, you can call it a dance band, um, like uh, entertaining a band or yeah, uh, something like that, S singing old um, sluggers. Um, uh, so I, sometimes I, I went with him to shows and uh, and experienced uh, that life, uh, the backstage life and things like that. Um, it wasn't uh, a lot of classical music, so I wasn't introduced to that until I started taking all the lessons, but there was a lot of music and um, uh, and singing so uh yeah so that's definitely uh, that has definitely uh, been important yeah so i yeah. read that you were a huge mtv mtv fan when you were growing up so who were some of your favorite artists and bands that you were following yeah that's true um while i was singing in the boys choir and started to love that music i i kind of in uh, in school, it was a different me, uh, where I loved uh, having this crazy hair, and I was a vocalist in a band at school, where I could wear lipstick on the shows, <laughs> and if you hear crazy hair and lipstick, you might know who I'm talking about, but it's Robert Smith in The Cure, uh -huh. so, so they were... Um, very important to me at that date and um, i remember my mother was worried because 10 years old and interested in in that dark the cure music uh, she was a skeptic about that <laughs> but, um, is, she, so, is she feeling better now <laughs> yeah she does <laughs> so the cure was important uh, i later discovered pet shop boys okay uh, uh, yeah but it's I always been really interested in everything. It was just all everything was just music, and uh, um, it wasn't until later I started understanding that some music are called guilty pleasures, and you shouldn't talk about it. And <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, besides music, uh, what did you and your friends enjoy doing for fun when you were growing up? Ah, oh, we were a lot of. Uh, we were outside a lot with our bicycles. And, okay. Yeah, I'm a very nostalgic person, so I now I'm thinking about our Walkmans and and all all the uh, stuff from the eighties that I uh, <laughs> that I um I miss. Uh, so yeah, we we listened to music together. We we formed bands, but we were also outside with bicycles and just. Uh, being creative with the uh, with things outside. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. How, yeah. So, I, what what is the weather like? Like right now, it is uh, end of November uh, when this yeah. airs. So, is it full snow from November till May, or when 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 does your winter uh, it, hit? Yeah, it can be. Uh, we haven't got snow yet. Um, okay. 
I don't like the snow actually. <laughs> um, I like, yeah, I like being able to walk uh, normally. Uh, so, uh, so uh, yeah, it, it can be snow from November until uh, at least April. At least April, okay. Yeah, but January and to March is maybe the coldest months with the most snow. Gotcha. Yeah, but it's it's very beautiful when it's when it's white and and before it rains and it gets wet and and uh, slippery. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, so you were doing you were doing boys choir. You were taking piano lessons. When did you actually start writing music? Yeah, I think I was about sixteen, seventeen years old. I. I remember, I don't know how I found out, but I, I bought a notation software um, around that time. And that opened up a whole new world because I had an orchestra in front of me. Yeah. And um, I just started experimenting with that. Um, before that, I did some on, on paper as well, but I think it was when I got the notation software and um, the possibilities felt like uh, an endless... Uh, and I could spend hours. Um, and I, I think I stopped being social <laughs> at that time <laughs> because, because of that. Um, and then, yeah, uh, I think that was when it really started. And I remember buying um, a smaller um, MIDI keyboard Okay. that I started bringing with me as so I could write on hotels and, and things like that uh, oh, nice. at the end of my my teenage years. Okay. So yeah. was that Finale or Sibelius or were you using something else? Um, I don't think it was any of those yet. Uh, okay. I think it was probably much something simpler. Okay. So, but uh, I got Sibelius a bit, bit later. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so many of your popular selling pieces are your choral works, like even when he is silent, Cradle Hymn and Flight Song, which my own students just performed at our fall concert. Uh, so what got you passionate about choral music and what keeps bringing you back to it? Yeah, well, uh, being in the boys' choir myself uh, has has been a very important part of my life. Um, and I, ex I ex um, discovered so much music there uh, that I loved. And, the 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 musical profile of that boys choir was there was a lot of British choral music, uh, and a lot of Norwegian choral music, and uh, yeah, many of those composers really became role models and stars, and I remember meeting of them, and that that was really huge. So I think I just started thinking that oh, this is something I want to try out and I um if we if we were performing Mozart Requiem uh one season I took the score with me home and just played the um, the reduced piano uh part mm -hmm. um so I could really understand what was going on. Um and I think I learned a lot of things about uh, voicing from that, not just singing your own part, but uh, playing it all together and see how, yeah, how they um, how they live 
together all the all the parts. Sure. So I think because of that, writing for choir was became very naturally. I don't think there was ever a decision. Um, it just what was naturally, and it actually took me. Even if I started playing the piano at six, it took me. Uh, maybe 30 years until I wrote something for the piano. So that's a bit strange. But oh, wow. uh, yeah. Yeah. So speaking so, of which, you, yeah. as I mentioned in your bio, you just recently released an album of piano music. So tell yeah. us about why you decided to make this album and what, what sort of music we'll find on it. Yeah, it started in during the pandemic uh, because there was a lot of projects that were postponed. Um, and I remember 2020 was going to be the busiest year for me with traveling. There were many, many uh, big uh, uh, trips uh, planned that year. <laughs> and then and everything then just disappeared. Exactly, yeah. Uh, you, you, and you could, many of us could feel that many things were taken away from us. Um, but uh, I, it couldn't take away my piano so um so i started playing the piano by myself uh when i couldn't hear the sound of choirs anymore so that was what inspired me to to do that um yeah it, it was uh, uh a wonderful project because i i maybe felt a bit closer to the audience by also performing it myself because I don't conduct uh, my music. So uh, yeah, it, it gave me uh, gave me uh, a different kind of communication uh, to the audience, which was uh, yeah, very gratifying. Yeah. Have you performed any of these pieces live? I haven't, no. I, I don't really see myself as a pianist. Okay. Uh, and these pieces, they are written on a level that I can perform them. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna do that. Okay. Uh, but it was, uh, it was good to have the project and, and record them. Yeah, and I did see that one of the pieces, "Winter Moon," reached number one on the Apple Music Classical Chart. So congratulations on that. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was that was great. <laughs> So I always like to explore the process of composers a little bit. When you're ready to write a new piece of music or you receive a new co commission, how do you begin? Do you start at a piano? Do you sit with the new text? Do you compose on paper? What what sort of things do you do to start? Yeah, I uh, I spend a lot of time reading and thinking about the text. Um which is which can be a very long process, uh, but quite often I don't have a text uh, when the commission comes. There are often not texts right. yet, so it can take a really long time to find text also. Um, but once the text is there, I I uh, I kind of study the text and that like to think about finding aspects in the text that hasn't been found yet uh, musically. Uh, if there's a text no one has said, that's not uh, 
uh, an issue. But if there's a text that many has music to, I kind of like to find, is there something else in, hidden here? Uh, so that can be an interesting process. Um, and um, when when it comes to starting composing the music, I um, usually sit at the piano, which is connected to a computer. So um, so I have stopped writing on paper because for me it's. Uh, it kind of prevented the flow a little bit, uh, and I write kind of quite, quite uh, intuitive and improvisational on the piano. So I've I feel I can get a better flow um, by just recording a bunch of ideas and um, have them all saved, and uh, and then when I have IDs recorded, I sometimes um, switch to my other computer uh, and started starting notating in Sibelius. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's often often the process. Um, but I think um, many themes and melodies which I which I think is one of the most important things for me to find uh, happens outside taking a walk or um, right. yeah um, or um, yeah not not necessarily sitting down and 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 finding it on the piano so some pieces I know where I uh, got the melody and it can be everything from a parking lot to um, uh, yeah, something more uh, spiritual, like a, in a church or a cathedral, or yeah, yeah. Do you have a a certain time of day that you compose the best? Are you a like a morning composer or a late night uh, composer? <laughs> I'm I'm both a night composer and a night person. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. So, um, but after I have I have two kids now, uh, so before I could. Uh, work in the nights. Uh, I don't do that a lot anymore. Uh -huh. um, but I feel that the, the the time of the day can uh, can work on different stages of the work. So yeah, when it's when when the creative part of the, uh, discovering melodies and themes and all of that is done, and I can work more on arranging the piece, writing the voices. Sure. That I can do that in the daytime, but I think the evening is maybe the most creative uh, time of the day. Okay. How old are yeah. your kids now? Uh, four and seven years old. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're at a, a good age. There, keep you busy. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Yeah. So I've talked to many composers over the years that either have had self doubt about their early processes. Or it took a while before they considered themselves a composer. I'm one that was like that. Uh, as opposed to someone who just wrote music once in a while. You know, When did you discover that you were, quote unquote, a composer? Or that you had made it? You know, When did you find that point? Yeah, that's an uh, uh, interesting um, uh, topic. Because um, 
I don't think there was uh, ever a time where I made the decision to become one. Um, but as mentioned, I started early in my my teens, and when I was in my early, what do you call it, early twenties, um, I I wrote a couple of Christmas carols for the local choirs here, um, and um, and also for some other uh, uh, community choirs in Trondheim. Um, but I I didn't really know that, or I didn't know how how this could ever be a career like a job. I di I didn't know much about the industry, kind of how that worked. I I just uh, wrote music, but I didn't consider it to, to become a job. Um, and I started to realize that okay, I have to have to find a job. So I started working in uh, in the cultural um, uh, life in Trondheim with, with more administrative work um, while I was studying music. Um, and I actually didn't write much in maybe four or five years uh -huh. because I, I think, well, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't know how to become one. <laughs> um, but after a few years without writing anything, I I came back to it and had been going through some. Yeah, I have become a bit older. I was now about thirty years old, and having discovered or experienced. Um, uh, ups and downs and that probably grew uh, from that as well so I sat down in, in late 2009 and uh, and I played an, uh, uh, a minor 7 chord and it's nothing fancy about a minor 7 chord but it was something about the emotions in that chord you really felt like oh this is this is how i feel right now hmm. um and i started working around that and i uh, i think without having written anything um something has developed um and maybe it was a bit luck also but suddenly i felt that the music and my emotions are now connected so i uh, i showed 16 measures to a conductor here in Trondheim, uh and i said uh i think i've got something here um and i have used the the text for the magnificat and um do you think this can become something and she said yes and uh well i asked can i would you be interested in performing the Magnificat if I write the whole thing? And she said, yes. Um, so that made me really inspired. And uh, I I suddenly felt that, wow, I, I can actually do this. And now it sounds like me um, more than uh, sounding like um, 
like when you study music you you often try to write music in the style of uh, different composers which right. is actually a really good method um and and in that time i remember my conductor in the boys choir told me you have to yes it's good technically but you have to find your voice and i didn't know how to find that but that i think guess that came around that time when i wrote the Magnificat. and um i i i it felt very personally and uh, i was happy with it and until one month before the premiere i had a nightmare <laughs> about uh, the rehearsals and i remember uh, i uh, i walked into a rehearsal in that nightmare without the orchestra seeing me because this was, this was quite an orchestra and there were professionals in the orchestra and i remember one viola player <laughs> stood up and said I can't play this. This is too simple and banal music. <laughs> <laughs> and I woke up and I got really worried. And I uh, I, I hurried um, to my computer to listen to the Sibelius playing, just playing it and, and, and try to study, study it and, and consider if he's right. And I was very doubtful uh, until the premiere uh and did not know what to expect uh because i knew that the the music is is tonal it's not very technically complex music and it's emotional so i was worried about certain um groups in the <laughs> in the music community who who don't like that um and maybe that's um more of that in Norway. Uh we can maybe talk about that later. But <laughs> <laughs> um uh, yeah so when the concert ended I, I was really surprised because there were so many people coming towards me crying and uh, I didn't understand why and and felt sorry that they, <laughs> they had come to a concert and was uh, crying, but they were just uh, so uh, emotional and and had obviously been touched by it. So, um, uh, and I, I was um, encouraged to, to publish the work to a publisher, but I didn't um, because I didn't think, okay, a performance in the Niederus Cathedral, that's, uh, I'm good. Um, <laughs> that's, I have fulfilled my dream. Uh, so um, I didn't have like a really big uh, vision of me as a composer writing for many choirs around the world. Um, so it took me, I think it took me four years until I submitted a piece to a publisher. Oh, wow. After they having, um, uh, tried to convince me uh, sometime because I didn't know it. I didn't think it was that good. Uh, <laughs> um, even if I I appreciate it, I was happy with it, but I didn't think the, it was a place for it. So yeah, yeah that was a long answer. Um, it was a long answer, but it was perfect. I loved it.
And we'll actually get a chance to talk about the Magnificat in just a moment as yeah. well. Yeah. So I've got I've got one more question for you before we take a quick break. Okay. Non-music related. If you uh, if you won ten million dollars tomorrow, what would you spend it on? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. What would I spend that on? Um well um I always felt that life is too short for everything that I'm interested in now. There's so many things I would love to do. So I I think I would uh, uh, that's the tough one. Because there's there's so many good causes that deserves that money. But it would probably I I think it would be something uh something that involves children if it's yeah some kind of education for ch for children i would i would uh love to be able to uh, to give that and maybe it can be music education for children or yeah but uh, yeah it's difficult but some something for for children they awesome. deserve every every child deserves um yeah we'll deserve that so okay all right well we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to listen to some of kim's compositions welcome back this is steve danielson i'm talking today with kim andre arneson so kim today we're going to start with magnificat anima mea from your magnificat uh you mentioned that this piece was sort of the start of your career and you say that it's remained important throughout your career. So how has this piece played such a vital role in your musical journey? Yeah, well, um, I think the, the, the musical idiom or the, or the language that was created in that process um, uh, was kind of what um, made me understand that okay this is this is how I sound uh, musically so um I could really take that style with me um for uh for other works having said that I have sometimes tried to go back to that style like really go back to it and and make a similar work but I haven't been able to so I think I'm still developing uh, too much to really go back. But there were certain um, elements there that have stayed with me. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be everything from chords to, um, uh, yeah, um, uh, or just various uh, elements in the music. Uh, but it has also become a very um, uh, popular work to perform. and. Uh, it was recorded in, I think it was 2014, um, which was the first recording uh, of uh, a full, of a large scale work uh, of me. So that was uh, important as well to, yeah, to get the music out there for, especially for the international um, uh, market. So. Um, yeah, and I yeah, it it has still it it's still 
being performed all around the world. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah. That's great. Now you mentioned that this piece is where you first sort of discovered your voice, uh, your voice as a composer. How would you define or can you define that voice? Yeah. Um, well, it's definitely, uh, I, I like to use maybe two keywords and that's tonal and emotional. Okay. Uh, and that has kind of, even if I'm developing all the time, I think that has kind of stayed with me and until I wake up one morning and hear something different, I will, I will, I will keep doing that. Um, uh, and maybe this, um, uh, the nostalgic, uh, part of me is also, you can also hear that in the music. Um, and I also, um, um, think about, um, how, like, like how joy and how, uh, happiness can, can sound musically, uh, and, think maybe sometimes I, I approach feelings like that a bit different so it's more like um, a deep spiritual feeling which can make it sound um, like maybe maybe make it sound less uh, joyful <laughs> uh, like in the Magnificat where Mary gets the message that she will be the mother of uh, of God's son. Uh, there's, of course, joy, a lot of joy in that. But maybe not necessarily uh, a time where you would jump and, and shout and, and dance, like that kind of joy. Uh, but more like a, a an an inner uh, joy where you where you feel calm or you feel thankful, uh, and it makes you reflect. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we are going to now listen to Magnificat Anima Mea, performed here by the Nidaros Cathedral Girls Choir and the Trondheim Soloist String Orchestra.
All right, next we're going to go to Ea Mater from your Stabat Mater. And you said this piece sort of acts as a sequel to the Magnificat. So how are the pieces linked? Did you revisit thematic material when you wrote the Stabat Mater? Yeah, well, I, I kind of um, I missed the process of writing the Magnificat for many years. <laughs> um, so when I um, was commissioned to write a Stabat Mater, I felt, yes, now I'm finally going to go back to the Magnificat and, uh, and write a similar work. But it didn't work out very well uh, because <laughs> 10 years is a long time, I, I guess. But thematically, uh, they are absolutely connected because in Magnificat we meet, um, uh, like I said, uh, Mary in, in joy and, and in wonder by the news. And in Stabat Mater, we meet her at the front of the cross in 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 deep sorrow um so the so the um, the works are are connected in that way um the, the magnificat with the well i think no no joy compares to giving life and no pain compares to losing that life um to too early uh, so um so yeah, there's a there's a link there. Um, if you study the works closely, you can find a a small hint to the Magnificat, but but musically, it's 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 a bit different. And um, and uh, in the Sabbat Mater, which is uh, about Mary in, in grief in front of the cross, there's still room for um, for hope. Um, for um, for a re uh, reflection. Sure. So both this piece and the Magnificat were both commissioned by girls' choirs, correct? So you they were, sort of yes. have that nice pairing. Yes, I think because of the Magnificat and also another piece that I wrote a couple of years later called Cradle Hymn, which was also written for a girls' choir. I've been commissioned by, by many girls' choirs, so I I think um, my music has been discovered by many of those who uh, uh, have listened to the Magnificat and, and other works for SSA choirs. So yeah, so I love working writing for for girls choirs. So. Fabulous! All right, well we are going to listen to Aya Mater uh, in performance by the. If, hopefully, I'll say this right. Haderslev, is that right? Yeah, Had very good. Okay, Hadersleve Cathedral Girls Choir and the South Denmark Philharmonic.
All right, our third piece today, called No One Stranger from The Stranger. So I understand this is a pretty recent piece for you. This piece is taking on the topic of immigration, refugees, and victims of human, tra human trafficking. Uh, this piece has a very different sound than the last two, sort of an amalgamation of classical and folk elements. So I'm curious how you came across this text and hope, what you're hoping to say with this piece. Yeah, well, The Stranger, it was uh, commissioned by an organization called the Together in Hope Project, who has the Together in Hope Choir, uh, a 60-strong choir based in Minneapolis and St. Paul, um, which I worked with before. Um, the, the founders of the organization, Gary Omot and Celia Ellingson, they created this li uh, wonderful libretto of of various texts, both uh, sacred and secular, um, um, and it was based on a work that was started by the UN actually, who gathered various church leaders and uh, humanitarian organizations, politicians, to to sign a declaration, where the aim was to promote global awareness. Uh, for the world's refugee situation, um, so, uh, so, uh, so this was this was um, uh, the libretto was was um, uh, created uh, by the commissioner, um, but it was uh, it it was a it is a topic that. Uh, it's something that I'm very concerned about myself. And I have always thought that as a composer with an audience, um, I do want to use my voice to, to raise awareness of important issues in our world. Um, and um, with the... Um, um, with the universal topic in this work, uh, which is all about how we how we treat each other and how we welcome strangers, um, uh, and, and especially tolerance towards everyone, uh, no matter your background or what you believe. Um, I wanted also musically to. Uh, to try to have no um, no borders, kind of. So that's why this music sounds a bit different than my other music, um, because I used incorporated elements from different traditions uh, and cultures, which I have done before as well. I started doing that in my Requiem, and I did that even more in the work called Tuwayun, Beatitudes for a Wounded World, and, and now also in The Stranger. Because if the uh, if the text and the topic tries to do that, um, I at least have to do that musically. Uh, so to me, it wouldn't wouldn't make sense to 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 write a, a pure a Western classical work. Um, with that um, uh, topic and, and the aim of the work. So you mentioned on your email that 
this re- is not officially released yet. So is this an on-air premiere of this recording that we're going to listen to? It, you know, it, it was actually not aired on the radio either, but it, we, we, um, it was uh, we invested in a, a decent recording of the of the premiere. So yeah, so it's from the world premiere, but it hasn't aired uh yet so okay uh, so here's our first airing of this i'm excited yeah it it is actually and um what we hope to release it so uh but this will yeah you are one of the first to hear it definitely okay here we are we're going to listen to call no one stranger performed here by the together and hope choir and the trondheim soloist string orchestra Thank you. 
All right, our last piece today, lovely is the dark blue sky. So we have the upcoming Christmas season upon us, and this is a lovely arrangement of the Danish-Norwegian carol. And I understand that you worked with Charles Anthony Silvestri to create an English version of the carol. So talk to us a bit more about writing this piece. Yeah, this piece, or this carol, is very popular in Norway and Denmark. Um, I know it's uh, a hymn also sung in the U.S., um and it's sometimes called i think it's uh, bright and glorious uh, mm -hmm. through the ages i think it's more popular known as that in the us um but it, it, in this carol i went back to the original uh text by the danish author nikolai grundtvig and um uh tried to what i mentioned earlier tried to discover aspects here that hasn't been discovered yet. And also by reading about Grundtvig's life, I discovered that maybe, because uh, this carol is often performed in a very light, with a very light mood and quite fast. And yeah, uh, it's a, it's a uh, like a, a, with a good feeling. Um, but his life wasn't necessarily, uh, well, his life wasn't easy because he wrote this text actually between um, uh, some psychotic e episodes. Hmm. Um, so he, he struggled a lot. And with this piece, he wanted to look at Christmas through the eyes of a child and um, and I'm watch I'm watching through my window now, uh, and in this part of the world, uh, it is at this time of the year it's dark. Um, so, um, so to me, um, watching the stars now in the darkness, and uh, that, yeah, that that gives that gives everything a bit more like a uh, mysterious mood i feel than than the light um uh, upbeat uh mood that are yeah, usually done with this piece so i i worked with it harmonically to uh to give it some more minor um uh, chords and and uh, the tempo is a lot slower than, than the usual one so so yeah uh, i think it's it's a, a different very very different setting of this hymn than than we are used to uh but yeah to me uh, that felt very natural uh, with uh, with the text and and the story behind it yeah, and you know, you mentioned earlier uh, in this interview that you're with texts that are sort of familiar. Try to draw new musical material out of it. Yes, um, not to compare myself to Glenn Gold, the pianist, but I, I've always remembered very well something he talked about, where he, uh, and he is known for playing music in different tempos than than what you would expect. And yeah, I, I think it's very interesting to try to find 
ways to really change things when you're arranging music uh, and to really try to make it into something something different so that's what i have tried to do here um and there's a there's one more fun fact though with this piece and that is the the composer of it uh who who was a norwegian danish composer um he's not known for composing music he actually worked in the the army okay um and but the, when this hymn was found in the 19th century it was found in a hymn book and it said written by an old man who has never composed music before and this is the only melody uh, known uh, to to his name. So, well, it's yeah. a wonderful it's, legacy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to listen to "Lovely as the Dark Blue Sky," performed here by the Boozy and Hawk Singers.
All right, well, Kim, what are you working on now that you can tell us about? I just finished a piece for the BBC Singers, um, so and, and now I'm in the in the final stages of a couple of anthems to to the Bryn Mawr Presbyterian Church in Pennsylvania. Uh, they actually commissioned seven anthems of me okay. this year for their anniversary, uh, so I have two more uh, anthems to to finish for them. Um, after that, let me think, there's, there's actually gonna be, a a non-choral work, <laughs> okay. which is very rare to me, uh, but I'm gonna write for a very, very good, uh, Hardanger fiddle player. Um, she also, she plays both the Hardanger fiddle and the violin. Okay. Uh, Ragnil Hemsing and it's it's gonna be a concerto for for her and uh, symphony orchestra. Oh, fun. So that's one of the biggest uh, projects for uh, for next year. <laughs> it sounds like uh, it's gonna be a big one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's there are things going on, and I'm also working uh, with arranging my uh, my previous works for choir and guitar. Oh, okay. So yeah, so I hope to collect uh, some of my previous works because I think it's too little music out there for acquiring guitar. Yeah, yeah. I don't really know why because it's yeah a wonderful combination. Do you have a a guitarist in mind? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a Norwegian guitarist uh, involved in the project. Okay. Um. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens. All right. Well, if my listeners want to learn more about you and about your music. What's your website? Where are you located online? Yes, um, it's kimarnason.com. Um, so, yeah, so that should be easy to find, I hope. And uh, I'm on Facebook uh, and Instagram. Um, so, yeah, um, I love hearing from conductors or the audience or, or singers. And, yeah, so feel free to reach out to me for any that's Any good. questions or, yeah, love to connect with people around the world. Awesome. Well, <laughs> hey, listeners out there, I'd like to invite you now to join your fellow listeners and become a supporting member of Move Old Doe. I know you've been enjoying these conversations for a couple of years now, and we're getting close to episode number 100. If you think that one of these episodes is worth even 25 cents, I want you to head over to sdcompose.com slash movabledoe, and there you'll find information about becoming a supporting member. For 25 cents an episode, that's about a dollar a month, less than a cup of coffee, you can become a supporting member and join your fellow listeners in keeping the music moving. Visit sdcompose.com slash movabledoe today. Well, Kim, it has been wonderful to talk to you today. Thank you for joining me on Movable Doe. Thank you so much, Steve. My guest today was composer Kim Andre Arneson. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show, please email me at movabledoe at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving. Sorry,